The High Power Hangout is a podcast that promotes and supports firearms, sports, and firearm safety. I do not support crime, negligence, illegal actions, or misuse of firearms. Always treat every firearm as if it was loaded, point them in a safe direction, and never put your finger on the trigger until you intend to safely fire and always be aware of what's behind your target. Discussions on this podcast, write-ins, or guest appearances are not responsible for your actions or inactions as a result of content covered in the show. Do not use reloading data from the show without working up from a considerably more conservative charge and solely working up until a safe load can be obtained. Welcome back to the High Power Hangout. I'm JP. Today is Thursday, August 18th, 2022. The wind down from Camp Perry has arrived. It's time to start focusing on finishing out the season and setting a few realistic and unrealistic goals for next year. Some major tasks that I have looming ahead are to find a decent load for my annoyingly picky Bartline barrel using different powders, learn to shoot well during offhand and prone in windy conditions, and put an end to the reign of terror the AMU shooters have been putting on the civilians. Guess which one of those is the unrealistic goal? Yeah, I've learned a lot from my mistakes, so I decided to do more mistakes to learn more. Anyway, I thought of a few useful tidbits for today that were stuck in my brain at Camp Perry this year and put them into a technique talk, the mental machine, and equipment engagement, and just a quick word from our sponsors. So let's not waste any more of my AOL 4.0 minutes and dive right in. I want to preface today's technique talk with two comments. First, I know that not everybody that shoots the Nationals is a frequent and experienced competitor, so I'm not trying to pick on anybody here. And secondly, I was 100% in their shoes when I first started the sport, and I'll touch on that as we go. Today I'm going to discuss sling technique for service rifle shooters. I used to use the service rifle sling incorrectly for about a year and a half until one fateful day, I was added as a teammate on a four-man team match at a local match with John Holliger from White Oak and Conrad Powers, praise be his name. I had no idea what I was getting myself into. These two guys learned me something right about the techniques throughout the day. One of the items had a powerful effect on me, and that was when John taught me how to use the sling properly. I had it completely wrong. In a friendly, mentoring-style tone, John taught me how to use the sling correctly so that it would stop slipping down my arm and would start staying in consistent spots every time I set it up. Now, before I get too far into this, I just want to say I'm not a user of the cotton web sling in the service rifle matches. They absolutely work just as well as the others, and I can't say that one is necessarily better than the other. This is just the sling style that I started with, so it's still the one that I use. I do use the Cottonweb slings for my vintage rifles, and they're just as effective. I'll give you a resource on those slings at the end of this discussion. Have you seen the new shooter on the line get the sling loop around his or her arm and then aggressively slam the keepers down to try to pinch lock that sucker into place, only to watch it loosen up and slide down their elbow pits by the end of their strings? That was me. Lost, lonely, and uneducated. Those were the days. This is how I did it for the longest time. I hated slings. I thought that they were annoying, they pinched too much of my skin, and they were unreliable. Well, that's because you don't know how to use them right, you dummy. That day at the team match, John brought up a couple of really good points. First off, if I'm slamming those keepers down towards my bicep armpit area, the only thing that's keeping them in place is just the friction of the keepers and the spreading of the loop inside the arm. That'll hold for about eh, 11 seconds. And it was always sliding down my arm. Do you know what happens when a sling slides down the arm during prep and a shooting string? Well, it's not good. And it usually ends up with a string working out the bottom. So what's the fix? I'll try to explain this as best as my dumb brain will let me. First off, during setup, put the frogs on the belly. What? 
Yeah, frogs are the metal ends of the sling straps that have the hooks on them. I guess they resemble Kermit the Frog if you look at them. I don't know. Anyway, when you have the sling attached to the rifle, the metal frogs should be on the side of the sling that faces the belly of the rifle. So when you're sitting down with the rifle in front of you, scope pointing away, you shouldn't see the frog on the bottom of the sling. Next point. The keepers and frogs are the glue that holds this baby together. Let's say that I'm getting ready for rapid sit. And I'm sitting on my arse with a rifle in front of me and the sling already on my left arm. Now, if you're a lefty, just listen to this segment upside down. It'll make sense. The sling is high on my arm near the armpit and the frog is towards the outside of my arm. Towards the tricep. Toward, not all the way back on the tricep. Maybe just a touch over center if you're looking at it from a first person viewpoint. I have the two sling keepers where the loop closes on the top of my arm like a raindrop. Now here's where I see people going wrong, and if this is you, take note here. If you're relying on your two keepers alone to pinch the sling in place, you're going to have issues. The friction of the two keepers against the sling straps where they pinch together, it's just not sufficient enough to prevent the sling from coming loose. There just isn't enough surface to hold it there. Try as you may to get your arm in the sling and jam those suckers down as tight as you can. It simply won't work, I'm telling you right now. I saw a lot of this at Perry, and I really wanted to give advice to the other shooters, but I know that's not my place. I saw some aggressive jamming this year. That sounded wrong. Banks, we good? Thumbs up. Okay. So what's the preferred method? While the keepers are down against the sling on your arm pinching the straps of the sling together, the frog needs to be immediately on the other side of the keepers on the outside of the sling. From inside out goes my arm, the shooting coat sleeve, the sling, the two keepers, one frog on the outside, then the rest of the sling, assemb a sling assembly toward the sling swivel. Slow down. The reason we do this is that the frog gets pulled into the keepers, and this is one of the best ways that your sling stays tight on your arm and gets held in a constant position. Opposite the frog, just beyond the keeper on the inside of the sling, is the long strap of the sling. That half of the sling is the one you're going to use to tighten the sling up. This takes practice and a ton of frustration, but you'll get used to it and work up a physical memory for getting it on and off. Sometimes it gets stuck in place and you just can't get out of it. I've heard of people using Windex or maybe a little spit to each their own. I don't care. Now I have a biothane sling from Turner Slings and I don't have issues with that at any point. Anymore, I guess. I can get in and out of that bad boy in just a few seconds and it doesn't move on my arm. For those of you who are visual learners or maybe want to follow along, and for those of you using a cotton web sling, a fairly popular shooter and educator named Conrad Powers, praise be his name, that's Conrad with a K, offers a wealth of helpful videos on his YouTube channel titled, well, Conrad. If you're searching on YouTube, I suggest searching for the video, which is called The Service Rifle Sling, Configuring and Using in Competition. After you watch that video and get a better idea of what I'm discussing, I suggest rifling through the rest of his videos. I've learned a whole holy shitload from Conrad in person and on his page. He's great at teaching not only topics, but also generating a little bit of thought for your own game and performance for high power shooting. He's among one of the best in the country as a competitor, and his word to me is pretty much as good as gold. Check it out. Conrad Powers with a K. YouTube, the service rifle sling, configuring and using in competition. Man, 
Plashmouth down there at Tuscahoochee, and Jim, you, you know Jim, right? Plashmouth? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he was at his old tricks again trying to Ready reinvent the, the right. wheel by cross-loading his double-platform bushing wheelers for his 223-op-6 and that old 364 Winchester 54 semi-auto duck mount. <laughs> Jim, come on. Well, I don't need to tell you what's on today's menu for today's mental machine. Hopefully your intuition has set off your spidey sense. Here's what my focus should have been on. Okay, I'm catching a little wind from the right. Let's add three clicks and watch the wind at the mag change. Target 12, whiteboard. Elbow goes firmly where my ECI is pointing. Let's calm down the heartbeat. Take a deep breath. Here we go. And here's what my focus actually was on. What the hell are those guys talking about? I feel like they're right behind me. Is that my verifier talking with his buddy from North Kakalaki again? Oh crap, targets are up, I'm late! Okay, this happens on more occasions than we're willing to admit to ourselves, and likely we've been guilty of it at some point. Unfortunately, we fall victim to a few different things when we talk about conversations distracting the firing line. First, we don't realize we're doing it until somebody calls us on it. And secondly, we don't often realize the volume and carry of our own voices on the firing line. Put these two together and it's a recipe for distraction for competitors trying their darnest to put you out of their mind. Now luckily I've dabbled in a few other sports where etiquette demands silence when the other person is doing their thing, like golf and bowling because, well, the dude abides. Speaking distracts others and I usually frown upon having conversations with an earshot of somebody focusing. Same rule applies when you're on the firing line. To my first point, we don't realize we're bothering somebody until somebody calls us out on it. I really hate that feeling of being the offender here. Whether it's a line officer, the spotter, or scorekeeper, or shooter themselves, it's quite an embarrassing moment to be told to move the conversation back or keep your voice down. More importantly, though, it's a quick reality check. Often we're not even aware that we're bothering somebody. I see this problem come up with new shooters. Their discussion is never really malicious, it's just that they're trying to learn about things or asking questions to people standing around them. They haven't learned that there's a place for discussion and there's a place for silence. If you're a new shooter or just somebody that likes to have conversations with others at the match, which of course we all do, just make sure it's away from the firing line and out of earshot for the other competitors. Next point, and probably the more common reason for this, is that a lot of us don't realize how loud we really are. First off, we have physical barriers such as earplugs, earmuffs, and hard-earned money going downrange in the form of powder and projectiles. It's not a quiet environment. Naturally, our speaking volume increases. It's a subconscious side effect of our environment. Secondly, our natural ability to hear is eroded over time, especially in this sport with our many common backgrounds. I work with, well, what I consider to be the geriatric, though they're only probably 20 years older than me, but most of the people that I work with come from a background in extremely noisy environments over long periods of time with little to no hearing protection. Many of them are military veterans who've operated in or near helicopters, aircraft, aircraft carriers. I love working with these guys and gals, but the speaking volume naturally goes up a few decibels. So even with an experienced shooter observing etiquette, you'll notice loud voices talking to each other and carrying on for a very long distance. Again, it's not malicious, but it's mentally draining as a shooter sometimes. So now what? I've noticed the distraction. It's planted itself into my brain. One way or another, I have to make a decision. Well, we're kind of back to that fight or flight decision. I could either fight it by asking the scorer, the verifier, line officer, or whoever to just simply ask them to move the conversation elsewhere and get back to my game, or flight it. Let the distraction continue and hope it either goes away or I can do my best to ignore it. These truly are your two options, A or B. 
I'll be honest here, there are pros and cons of each, and I think that everyone's a little different, so let's start by looking at the fight process first. If you decide to fight it, take care of it quickly and professionally. Simply ask someone such as your scorekeeper or range official to move the distraction away from the firing line. There shouldn't be any backlash for your request. In fact, NRA 10.2 says, and I kind of paraphrase here, competitors, scorers, and range officers will limit their conversations directly behind the firing line to official business. So here are the pros. It stops conversation for you and the other competitors behind you. It helps you focus on the rest of your string and get back to business as usual. Here are the cons. Sometimes it takes a little courage to speak up in front of others, which in turn can ignite those little nervous butterflies, especially if you're somewhat introverted or get nervous about public speaking, like me. Not everyone is built the same. If that's the case, work some time into your string for a dry fire shot or two afterward if you have the time after you speak up. Trust me, you have time. Also, another downside here is maybe you don't want to look like the tattletale. I can get this. You have to remember that there's time to talk to those other people after your string. Explain why you did what you did and they should be okay with it. As I saw on some lonely woman's wall one time, those who don't mind matter and those who mind don't matter. So let's say you can ignore it and choose the flight path. First off, I'm envious of your abilities. Truly. I have a low tolerance for being annoyed, and mentally, I tend to go from 0 to 100 like flicking on a light switch. In the flight option, you have the ability to put the conversation out of your mind and really hone in on your process. I've spoken with a few competitors that actually say it helps them focus even more and shoot better scores. I've seen this before once in my game when it started raining really hard during my slow prone stage of fire. It really got me locked in and I actually shot my personal best in that string, so I get it. Some good parts of this. Well, how about that superhuman ability to ignore conversations going on around you? That's really tough to do and probably a blessing. If this is you, then this entire segment is probably useless and, you know, unless you're the one distracting the other shooters. The bad part? Maybe not helping those around you who haven't spoken up, but I suppose that's also their decision to remain quiet. Of course, there's always the chance that this distraction gets worse and you start edging on that fight side of it, and that becomes a whole new distraction for you on its own. Also, what if they're saying stuff that you know is totally wrong? That would drive me bananas. No, your ACOG site isn't going to outperform the four power scopes on the line, dude. Thankfully, this all doesn't happen very often, and usually a quick glance at the guilty party and some eye contact brings it to their attention. My experience personally was once at the Talladega CMP Marksmanship Park and my first leg match at that venue. It was a three-relay match, and the shooter on the relay before me was talking about his string right behind me during my offhand string. Annoying! I gave it a quick 30-second count during my dry fire, but it just wouldn't stop. Fight! I'm kidding. I simply looked back and asked them if they wouldn't mind taking it somewhere else. Polite, direct, professional. I took a few more dry fire shots and put it out of my mind and then continued on. Afterwards, he was totally cool with it. And like I mentioned earlier, he was totally unaware that he was the cause of a distraction. No harm, no foul. Actually, him and I were both able to cut some points that day, so kind of a win-win in the end. So whether you're a fighter or a flighter on this topic, hopefully this gives you a little ammo in your back pocket on how to deal with it. 
or not deal with it, I guess, whatever. Today's equipment engagement is about two separate products doing the same job differently. They are the deflector brake and the Johnson Customs brass deflector. Personally, I hate chasing my brass and I love recovering all my brass considering technically they'll be antiques in two years. My first recommendation was from a local shooter using the deflector brake. It's a small foam style bumper that adheres to your brass deflector on your upper receiver. Simply wipe the upper's deflector bump clean with the included alcohol pad and stick it on, give it a few hours to cure. I've used two of these and they perform pretty well. During offhand, it sends my brass to the two o'clock position about three feet away. It groups fairly well and consistently. There's a life of about a thousand rounds to it, but I can say with match ammo and the way we take care of our rifles, it'll stay alive way longer than that. They come in four packs, so I ordered a few packages of them to keep some extras on hand for future uppers. I've spoken with the owner of the company on the phone regarding getting some for our local junior program, and he was extremely pleasant to work with and generous and thoughtful with supporting juniors. High regards to this product and company. Put it in your need to have if you're sick of chasing brass, or if you're slowing the line down looking for your brass after offhand. <clears throat> The other deflector that I've used is the Johnson Customs Brass Deflector. It's a bit bigger and anglier than the deflector brake because it offers an upper shelf that helps deflect the brass downward. The application is the exact same as the deflector brake, though it uses an adhesion promoter on the wipe rather than a cleaner. It sticks very well. I found that it deflects the brass a little less consistently than the deflector brake. I was turned on to it by another shooter who had one and he was having pretty good luck with the grouping so I gave it a shot but I really just couldn't get any good results with it. I saw brass going from 1 o'clock to 3 o'clock, 2 feet to 5 feet away. It wasn't always that bad but it had moments of inconsistency that was just a little frustrating. I tried it on a separate upper but I had to ditch it between the cup match and board week this year at Camp Perry. They are also a little more expensive than the deflector brake coming in at nearly 4 times the cost. My suggestion here, start with the deflector brake, and if you want to experiment with something different, then give the Johnson Customs a try. Hopefully you won't have to. Alright, Banks just sent me today's ad copy, so you know what time it is. And now a quick word from our sponsors. Today's episode is brought to you by Bradford's Pit Pulling Neck Brace. By now you're sick of unhinging your C2, C3, and C4 neck joints in order to lock your head back to watch for bullet impact before pulling the target down. Dislocating your neck joints like that over years of pit pulling duty can cause arthritis, prolonged strain, and the risk of not being able to reconnect your joints and looking like a bobblehead doll for the rest of the match. It's time you demanded a product to relieve your woes. Introducing the Pit Pulling Neck Brace by Bradford. Bradford's Pit Pulling Neck Brace simply straps on, and after a quick adjustment for target height, will keep your head in the perfect, relaxed position to watch for holes in the target. Made of foam and silicone, it'll comfort your neck with materials that you're used to at home. Use the foam support across your shoulders and the silicone inserts to rest your head on it like little happy pillows. Available in most sizes and firmness in tan, OD green, camo, and red. Bradford's Pit Pulling Neck Brace is also available in the Camp Perry configuration for when your shooters use the entire 20 minutes for slow prone. Bradford Pit Pulling Neck Brace. Find it at a local sports shop near you. I wanted to finish out and share a quick email that I received from a listener named Dave from out west. Dave writes, and again, I'm paraphrasing a bit here. 
My favorite topic of discussion is anything on the mental side of competitive shooting. I really fight the mental side of things, and it varies from mild when under control to huge bouts of target apprehension when I'm at my worst. It's really discouraging to look up and down the line and see people who don't seem to have any issues with match nerves and watch them shoot excellent scores. If you hadn't discussed the mental side, I would assume you were one of those ice water in the veins type too. I find it reassuring to hear that even those who shoot at the top levels of the sport fight the same battle I fight. It's something that I think is lacking in most books on shooting, and I also find that many books on the mental side make it sound all too easy or have their one simple trick to making it seem to go away. None have worked for me so far, and I have probably tried them all. Just putting it out there that everyone has some level of fight or flight stuff going on in their head at big matches is very helpful to me, and I'm sure others are in the same boat. Keep it up. I'm once again encouraged like I haven't been since I legged out, and I'm excited again to pursue more challenges. End of message. Wow. I had to read that one a few times because it was incredibly accurate. Dave's point about everyone else is dealing with some mental conflicts is something I haven't really thought about recently, but it's dead nuts on. We're all going through the same anxiety and excitement and pressure, so when you're up there, just remember that the guy or gal next to you is dealing with the same thing and they're just looking like they're mentally collected. It's basically a level playing field up and down the line. So give your mental game a boost and give yourself a leg up on the rest of the field. Thanks, Dave. Great points. Really kind words of encouragement for everybody. Let's finish on that great message from Dave. I still have a ton of content ideas to cover over the next few episodes, so stay tuned for the next one. In case you've forgotten, get on YouTube and check out Conrad Powers. Conrad with a K. There's more than just sling talk on there. I promise you'll learn something. If you have a story to share or want to add anything, please let me know. You can email me at jp at hphpodcast.com. That's HPH for High Power Hangout. Remember to make every single shot count. I'll see you on the next one. <laughs>